Well, today we're starting the longest series that I've ever come up with, six weeks. And we're going to see how it goes. There may be a, a couple gaps in that six weeks, but this is going to be really good. And I really believe this one's going to touch you in a way that lets you see in the, in the mind and eyes of a visionary versus a churchgoer. Because when you start seeing your life, not only your church's growth and mission, but your life as a visionary, you will look at how do I take these things by the reins and, and take it somewhere versus how do I just ride along? There's a big difference. And the people who get that vision and run with it do tremendous things in life. And we give all glory to God that we know our purpose as Christians is for God's glory. And so what we want is him to reveal that vision to us that we go after it and not wait. I'm going to give you Genesis chapter 37, verse 1 through 36. Abraham was the father of Israel. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob became Israel, the blessed nation who had 12 sons. And the 12 sons became 12 tribes and the 12 tribes became millions of Israelites throughout the Old Testament. The seed of David, Saul, and Jesus came eventually. But we're going to be talking about one of those 12 sons for the next six weeks. Has anybody ever heard of Joseph? Not Joseph, Joseph Jesus' earthly dad, Joseph, the son of Jacob. Has anybody ever heard of Joseph? Joey, no one's heard of Joseph? Oh, Lord, we got some work to do. Larry, pray for us now. I know you all know Joseph, but the coat of many colors, you've seen the Bible stories. I think we probably preached it no kids by now. Joseph was a visionary, a dreamer. And the hardest step with pursuing a vision is taking a step. Let me tell you, especially in the beginning, when you step out of your comfort zone and into your calling, you will get attacked by every avenue possible, including your own family. It will happen, but don't count it as, as a negative. When you endure persecution, rejoice, the Bible says, because that means you're onto something good for God. So we're gonna look at what happened to Joseph here in the next six weeks of what God does with Joseph's life. Genesis chapter 37, verse one through six. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line who later became Israel. He was renamed Israel, the man Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph. See how he called him Jacob, then he called him Israel? It's because God... God's using him. Israel is what he's going to become. Israel loved Joseph more than his brothers, his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. I'm not going to say I'm as old as Jacob, but we are having a baby and it's going to get a little bit of extra attention because it's been a while. And so I'm not going to say I love my, my number five more, but it's going to get a little bit of special treatment probably by Michelle, especially because she's like a princess. So Joseph was kind of like the prince to, to Jacob because it had been a while and he had him in his older age. Jacob, not me. I'm not old. Just almost old. <laughs> it's fine. I'm old. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. He could not speak a kind 
word to him. Now, I don't know how I'd hate somebody, but that would bother me too if my parents loved one of my siblings more than me and it was a parent. Joseph had a dream though, because he was a dreamer. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hey guys, listen to this dream I had. It's crazy. This sounds like Colton. I could see Colton telling his siblings this right now. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the fields when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Is this, um, uh, are, you, are, you, are you giving us an analogy of something that you're saying about us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse nine says, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow down, come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So his father kept this aware about this dream, just held on to it. This didn't go well with the brothers. Remember, they already hated him. Now they really hate him. 11 stars, 11 brothers, get it? God was speaking a message to Joseph that the brothers didn't like. It says, now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. Everybody say Shechem, carefully. And what? Shechem, guys. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them very well, he, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley from Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields asking and asking him, he asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing the flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. You think your, your family was mean? You think you had a hard time at Thanksgiving? Okay, exactly. It could be worse. Come on, somebody. <laughs> they plotted to kill their own brother. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, which is like a tank, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, one of his brothers, heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him in the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, Reuben said. This to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So Reuben was a little more compassionate like a family member should, than the other 10 brothers. So Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe. Remember the robe that Jacob gave him in the beginning. Keep an eye on that. Hold on to that matter. He had this robe that was stripped of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan, a caravan 
the Ishmaelites coming down from Gilead. Now, just for background context, the Ishmaelites were the other offspring of Abraham and Hagar that was not the blessed seed, that the blessed seed should come through Sarah, the one that would be 100 years old when they'd have, have the child that came Isaac, then Jacob. But Ishmael was the other side of that tree, and they had formed into a nation by this point called the Ishmaelites. Just thought you'd want to know that. Where was I? 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 Oh my goodness, they stripped him of his robe. Excuse me, I, I do this all the time. I lose my place and I have to just fake it till I make it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan, verse 25, caravan Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Now they're worried about what's going to happen to them. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Yeah, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to the Egyptians. You know, a little sweet. I mean, it's, we're giving. We're a giving family. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. I could have sworn Je Joseph was worth at least 30. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him then to Egypt. When Reuben, remember the compassionate brother, returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes out of angst. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there, where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe. See, now they're scared, they're worried. Slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the goat's blood. I know, it's gross. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether this is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. They're trying to cover it up. They're trying to cover it up. Then Jacob tore his own clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for so many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, everybody say meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Before I tell you the name of this series, I want to tell you a quick story of yesterday. I don't know if you can see on my head, there's a red circle. The light won't get it. Up close, there's like this thing. Well, I was evidently in a hurry, and I walked through my back door and straight into the door jam. And it was hard enough that I went, whoa, and I went down to my knees and got myself together. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to have a problem, guys. I already had a problem. What I'm saying is I was seeking God for vision because I couldn't see for a minute. I was, woohoo. So I thought that'd be a good way to let them know that this is called vision <laughs> seekers. The series vision seekers is the series of six weeks of what it's like to be Joseph and how we are going to be Joseph in our own lives. And this first week is titled when your situation seems selfish. Look to your neighbor and say, when your situation seems selfish. Purpose is going to take you through the gutter. It's not what you thought it would look like on the way, but once you get there, 
Glory to God. There's glory. And God is looking for those hungry to seek after the vision he has for their life. Joseph had a vision. Joseph was faithful. Joseph was confident. Look at Joe. Do you want to be Joe? Not right now, I don't. But purpose takes going through the gutter sometimes. Persecution. And answering the call can feel a bit egotistical to onlookers. I mean, his dream sounded a bit selfish. It sounded a bit about him and them bowing down to him and really about him having control of them. And it was really, on the surface is what they saw, this control thing. But God was really plotting something so much bigger. And when, when, when the situation starts to feel selfish of God calling you to do something different, to step up in your church, to step up with your faith, to lead your family away from what your friends think is cool, like God is calling you to do something different because it's so much bigger than just what they think or you think in the moment. Does that make sense? This was not about Joseph, but we think it is. His brothers think it's about him and his brothers. God's like, I got a much bigger plan. I'm moving the gospel, I'm moving the gospel into existence by bringing the Israelites to fruition here. God wants to use me to do something special. Some of those around us who are not confident in their calling may view that as a demotion of their relevance to your walk. But the reality is when God calls, it doesn't matter how others perceive it. It's your walk and it's for you. You're not going to hear that preached very often because it's true and it's transparent and it's raw in a politically correct world. Your calling is not based on the approval of your friends. It's based on God's calling. And odds are when it's really God calling, it's not going to sit well with those closest to you. It's going to stir the soil. And I just thought of this. Um, I thought of this yesterday. I was talking to Michelle. I don't think I actually shared it with her. But we hear the phrase like, they steal your joy. We're talking about joy. And I said how it was like an old, I thought it was an old person word. And now I say it. And people steal your joy. But what I realize is when somebody steals their joy, it's because they really want the joy for themselves. So we, I think of it like they, they're trying to take it away from you. But really, they're wanting what you have. They are stealing it and trying to keep it for themselves. So when you step into calling, you're going to find that along the way. And we will see through this journey of Joseph that sometimes we have to be selfish when it comes to the purpose that God has over our life. Who's going to be there for you when the road gets bumpy, them or Jesus? Who's going to lift you up when you're tired and need a reaffirmation that you're still on the right path after four years? Them or Jesus? Yeah, I'm preaching to myself and I'm preaching to y'all. We need reaffirmation by the body. But God is number one. God has to be the one to affirm your calling. Freely God gives to all those who call upon the name of the Lord. Therefore, you were designed to rise above the norm, which includes standing out from the crowd Maybe you're going to have a dream about some sheaves of wheat this week because you're opening up your mind to the dream God's put in your heart. Is your crowd that you surround yourself with, family, friends, coworkers, keeping you down because you feel selfish in your season? Or will you let God take you to the next level? We got some real givers in here, and it's easy to feel selfish, isn't it, Jen? It's easy. 
But sometimes when it's for God, we gotta be first because we're actually helping them. That's how we help them, is to, to, to show them there is no compromise in this part of my life. And so that's what Joseph was doing, and it, did, it just didn't come off the right way. And he was already set up for attack because he was already his dad's favorite. He got the nice coat. I know when my kids uh, get, one kid gets something and the other doesn't, doesn't matter what the conversation to follow is, they're already hating the other sibling for a minute. Not, not this kind of hate. I mean, they don't want to put them to death but they don't like it. If, if Kaylee gets a piece of candy for helping me take out the trash, Colton thinks I should just get a piece of candy. But I said, no, she worked for that. That's for her. Just because she gets a piece don't mean you get a piece every time. When you do something good, I'll give you peace and not her because that's your blessing. It's for you, but that's for her. It's not a blanket blessing. God's calling's for you. God's purpose is for you. It's for you, not them. Is your crowd keeping you down because you feel selfish? Does your situation feel selfish? That's what the enemy will tell you, and they'll use your brothers, all 11 of them, to try to trap you. The brothers tried to stop him. The brothers were thinking superficial. I'm gonna stop my brother because I don't wanna be controlled by my brother. But the devil was really the one at hand working, trying to stop God from moving because guess who's going to be blessed in six weeks? The brothers. Oh, I should have told you that part. Can't give you the end from the beginning. But what I'm saying is when we think it's a battle against us, it's really the devil against God sometimes. We're physical pawns in a spiritual battle. And I don't over-spiritualize, but I got to keep it real that we, the, the world is spiritual battle. That's why we use the term like the enemy. I don't think of the guy with the horns. I think of the devil, just, just evil against God, not for God. If it, if it not be for God, it's against God. That's how I see the enemy. That's how I see the evil. I don't think of the cartoons. I think of the reality of how he approaches our mind and how he approaches our family and how he approaches us through our siblings and anything to stop us from just trying to be faithful. Why would you want to stop somebody from just being faithful? That's a problem. And that's happening all the time. I bet there's people in here that have endured persecution because you go to church. I bet you've got some weird lucks because you said, I love Jesus, or I go to church with my family, or I pray over my food. Like that's, our, our culture has gotten so used to being the brothers in this situation that they don't even think anything of it until you actually say, I want to be like Joseph. They don't like that. But God does. God loves that. And the enemy will try to trap you and say, you're just being selfish. You're just making this about you. Is this really for God? That's why you need to seek counsel from the Almighty. God wants you to be confident, else you can be tempted by that lie the enemy tries to plant in you. So have you ever asked yourself, does your situation feel selfish? Maybe you're trapping the cistern as a setup by God. Just because he didn't arrange it doesn't mean he won't use the situation you've been in. In fact, I bet a lot of you can, can count blessings that God capitalized on the problem and brought a blessing, a blessing from it. But what's so cool about this situation is I actually wondered, did God arrange this caption, this capture? I don't know that that was the devil. God needed Joseph. Sometimes you got to remember, remember Jonah in the whale, like, like Jonah tried to go the other way and God sent the whale. 
to capture Jonah and spit him back out and send him back to Nineveh. God does this. God has a pattern. I'm going to get there. God, God, God will send a trap when it's for his glory because he's actually protecting you. So you can be hating on the brothers because, because you think they're trying to throw you in the cistern when God says, maybe I sent it. And you're going to thank me later, Joseph. Right now you think it's not fair. It's a trap. It's not right. But one thing I don't think Joseph felt was that he was selfish. I think he knew he was doing the right thing. So I want to encourage you that you don't have to be feeling selfish because you want to be faithful to God. You don't have to be selfish because you, you don't have to explain why you love Jesus and why you come to church and, and, and it makes people uncomfortable like those brothers in your life because, because they really want that joy for themselves. But they're scared and they need a leader to go first. Look to your neighbor, tell them, go first. Just be first. It's so much easier that way. The enemy will try to trap you. Does anybody remember the skating rinks back in the day? Do you remember when they adapted uh, rollerblades? So kids went from like skates to blades. And I was never a good roller skater. My cousin Jamie was amazing. I was a roller blader later in life. And they'd always, do you remember this, Nicole? Like at the, at the uh, roller rinks, they do like the, the, the boys on this side, girls on that side. And you had to go pick someone to skate with. I was so scared. I never did it. Be first. Now I'd be like, where's Michelle? I'm coming to get you. I'd be first. But back then I was terrified and I would, I'd be last. Always waiting for someone else. And I take, I lost so many good years of my life because I was scared to go first. God says, be a Joseph, go first. What if God did arrange it? What if God wants to make me go through this because what's coming is so good? I heard this before. Yeah, but what if it really happens and is true? It's not just a good preachy message that makes you feel good till Monday, but actually your life changes because of it. He's got a point. Because real change can feel like pain. Oh, that's good. That's good. Let me, let me write that down. I don't have a pen. Oh, I got it on my paper. Change can feel like pain. I talk about it all the time, but I know the delivery part of the process giving birth to that baby is not going to be a joyful one until it's done with. But it's so worth the reward that the pain is worth the reward because if the baby just stays in there, Michelle, we're going to have some problems, you know? Change will feel like pain. No pain, no progress. You've heard weightlifting, no pain, no gain. I'm not saying being silly like these 80s weightlifters, like they kill themselves. I'm saying no pain, no gain. Change will feel like pain. You have to go through it to get over it. You can't keep dodging it and avoiding it. I used to avoid certain confrontations with um, some of my younger nieces, actually. Well, I'll just say family. And when, when I was really hurt by something, I just wouldn't talk to them. It's not because I didn't want to talk to them. It's because I didn't want to address the issue. Now, hats off to my brother. He was always the opposite. He was always like, let me get right to the point and address it. Because he knew he had to go through it to get over it. Because if you just keep delaying it, you keep staying broken. And so it took me many years to kind of 
Quit avoiding and address. Feel the pain, go through it, and heal from it. And that's, that's what you gotta do. You gotta go through it to get over it. Everybody's felt a broken heart in some capacity in this room. And in order to get over it, you gotta go through it. And it takes time, right? And sometimes it never goes away, but you're learning how to deal with it because now it's a scar. It's no longer a fresh cut. It's a scar and you can talk about it. And now you can see what God did with your scars. That was another good sermon. I just want to say plug back in 2019, 2020. I don't know when it was. It's on YouTube. 1C Church, scars. Check it out. Jacob was mourning. Here is the father devastated over a lie. Isn't it bad enough that you're devastated when it's true, but when it's a lie? That's like I was talking about Caleb, my son. He gets devastated over nothing. I said, it's not even real, son. Why are you crying about that? Let's cry for something that really is damaging. This is good. You can laugh at that one. Because, because you can make it real. I used to do this as a kid. You make it what you think it should be in your mind. And you can make it so much worse than it ever was. They never thought that about you. But you thought they thought that about you. You know why? Because we think that about ourselves. So then we attach it to what other people think. And then we run with it. And that's exactly what the enemy will do to trap you from this exact moment of stepping into the vision like Jake, uh, Joseph, here's his poor dad crying his eyes out, mourning the death of his son, who was actually sold to the Egyptians. There's an outside perception of what's going on in this church. There's an outside perception of what goes on in, in a family. There's an outside perception that is often inaccurate. So people can get all twisted and torn up on, 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 on situations in your life because they don't have the, the information when God is doing something amazing, but they think it's something bad. And, and, and they, they're thinking like Joseph, they're just torn up because they think something's bad's happening, but it's actually so good. Like that's an outside perception. That's not for you. That's for them. His death was the farthest thing from the truth. God had actually created right then in the enslavement opportunity for life abundantly. And we're going to get through that. We're going to see what happens to Joseph in the weeks to come. So as you've questioned some of your goals, some of your dreams, have you ever stopped and said, does my situation feel selfish? And then let it trap you from pursuing it. Even in seasons of excitement, it can hurt because there's change. When we, when we got the new sound, like, it's not new anymore. I just thought of this. When we got this sound system for church, it was so exciting. And it was all in my hearth room at once. We went from a little stage pass Yamaha system that's meant for like one man show I'm going to get real audio geeky on you right now. Some of you appreciate this. Some of you are going to sleep. I'll wake you up in a minute. We went, Phil, from a little stage pass to two QSC subs, two QSC mains, a full X32 uh, Behringer, floor wedges, double floor wedges back then, backing tracks, the whole thing. I had it in my hearth room, and I was on a deadline to get this thing flipped over because there was church on Sunday. And so 
it was a little bit daunting because it was all at once. That's why, that's why when you go in for change, it's a gradual progression of change. You don't want to just get slapped with it too hard because then it can feel really painful and like, do I want this? Is this really a good thing? Like, like, like the reason I think God takes churches through the planting season is so they can actually last when the roots go in. If God just dropped the building and dropped the big church and everything the first day, I don't know that it could survive because we hadn't grown into it. So there's a rooting process, and that change can feel like pain, especially when it's an aggressive timeline. That's why you see people go the opposite direction, like the celebrities, like the MMA fighters who get so much so quick, and their life goes to shambles because it's too much too quick, and it becomes a painful experience for them when it was supposed to be a blessing. Y'all getting this? So change can feel like pain, and it will. But if God gave it to you, you can handle it because God is with you in it. If God puts you in a cistern, you're not gonna run out of air. You're not gonna starve. If God allowed it, you're gonna get out of that thing. Did you know my very first sermon ever in front of my mommy was about Joseph in this pit? It was called The Perfect Plan, and it was awful. Never preached before. And I said, I'm gonna try it. I don't know what this is about. I'm a musician, Cody. I don't know what this is about. And I preached it in my hearth room, the same room that several years later, we got this gear. And then several years later, we got more stuff. And it keeps evolving. See, we look back and we see the journey that God is transitioning us through the pain, through the process. God's growing you. Maybe you've seen stuff in your house change because of your, your dedication to the Lord. Maybe you see your family pray over dinner now and that used to be weird. And now you don't even notice because it's normal to you. But if you look back and compare, you go, man, where did I come from? It's so different now. It's exciting when you see the fruit of staying the course. But you don't want to be around people that just try to cap, make you captive, to captivate you, capture you, excuse me. You need, that's why church matters. You need people that promote your vision. You know what God did by sending Joseph to Egypt? Oh, this is good. He sent them to those who were promoting his vision. Y'all don't know. Do you know what's going to happen to Joseph in the weeks to come? He's going to become the man. Did you know that? Here it is. We're going to trap him. We're going we're gonna to kill him and put blood on the thing. And, then, and God says, I'm going to send you to where you need to be so you can be promoted by the people who see the vision with you because that's how God does it. You getting this? It's a team thing. We preach team because it's a, re it's a real thing. God took him out of the situation that could not allow it to grow, and he pushed him into slavery to the world but freedom to God. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to put him in charge of everyone. Whoa, that's so cool. And that wasn't expected, said Joseph. But he goes, I did have that dream. So I bet when he was in that pit or when he was getting in the, car the carriage ride to go to Egypt, he's going, I, I had a dream. Is this real, God? Maybe he had some moments of doubt, but he was still faithful. This feels like pain, but I know blessings coming. Your pain may not be the ending to your dream, but the beginning of it. Until you feel a little pain in your process, God's not really rooting nothing. So you need to step it up and feel that. And God says, now I'm going to show you something so good. So good. You've been numb to it. i got to stir it up. It's got to become uncomfortable for a minute so I can get your attention. 
Because when I have your attention and you see what I have for you, because remember the robe I gave you. When you have doubt, just remember the robe. I don't care if it has bloodstains on it anymore. That's just part of the battle. The robe's still the robe, and I, I gave that to you, says the Lord. It may be the beginning of something. Oh, man, it's so amazing. This is what I've learned about God through the process of ministry and life is that he positions through patterns. There is a pattern with how God does things. He's not erratic, crazy, all over the place, just everything, just whatever. He's systematic in his way, which isn't uh, uh, a sensual way that we can grasp. It's a spiritual pattern because he's spiritual. He's spirit. We can't discern spirit without the spirit because we're sensual people. So if we try to discern the spirit with our senses, we'll come up lost and confused, thinking, God, that's not real. But when we get in tune with the spirit, our spirits become one. We, we, we get our DNA strands, Damon. I'm working on it. We bring those together. They can't be separated once they become one. Those things, those things become one. What's that thing called? The, the, the holiday junction can't be separated. And if it can, don't say that part. He's a biologist or chemist or I get this wrong every time. What are you, Damon? Molecular biologist? Y'all didn't know that. Watch yourselves. He might make another one of you. <laughs> we talked about cloning one day at church. It was really weird, but pretty funny. I said, Damon, if I could just have another one of you, he's like, well, we could clone somebody. <laughs> but he's like, you'd have to allow them to grow up first. So we said, it's probably not a good idea for the kingdom. But God has this ornate pattern about how he works. And so when you see him work one way, the pattern may change, but there'll always be a pattern to his approach. And so God positions through these patterns. Remember Joseph's robe. It's part of the pattern. God is showing what will be. God has an ornate pattern. They said it was an ornate robe because God has an ornate pattern to his approach in your life. And it's really important you start paying attention to the patterns that you see God doing. There is patterns. There's some really crazy stuff that, that me and Michelle look back in our life and we kind of joke and say, remember when we said we might do that and then we might do that and this and that, like our, our goals, you know? And then we look back at the pattern and it's all stayed in sequence with those conversations, and it was like subconscious. And so we recognized that God was taking us through a path that was pattern-oriented. There's a pattern. When you were called, God established right then what you will do. When he gave you that robe, he established right then what you will do. When he gave you the dream and your brothers didn't like it, he established right then what you will become. Your fear of what will be next is the enemy attempt to rob you of what God already confirmed. So when you have the robe in your, in your satchel, do we still use that word? Remember, remember the word satchel? Like instead of book bag, they say satchel. That's like an 80s word or something. I didn't use it. My brother did. He, he, I got my satchel for school. What's a satchel? I don't know. But, but, you, but if you got your book bag or your, or your tote or your duffel bag and you still got that robe, and I know it's all red and gross now, but remember God gave you that robe for a reason. That's your confirmation that this captivity, this pain, this process is actually a blessing coming your way. Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody.
So does your situation, let's stand this morning as we close, does your situation feel selfish? If it does, say, God, bless it and take me where you want me to go. And let's do it. Let's do it. You're going somewhere special. And you got to put you first on this. If you don't put you first on this, you will never go. You will never go and stay. Let's put it that way. You may go into the building because of them, but if you don't make it about you first in this process, you won't stay. You'll flee back. It's got to be you first in this process. And God has a pattern to how he positions you. Where is Joseph's mind at this very moment as he's in transition to Potiphar? He's in his ripped clothes and he's hungry. He don't look like what God said he will become. So how does he hang on to that? He's got his rope. He hangs on to his rope. He knows the rope. They took the rope from him. He don't even need it because he knows God gave him the rope and God gave him the vision. That's why Joseph is a vision seeker because he keeps moving through the process. I don't see any fruit yet. I don't know this whole church thing. I don't see any fruit yet. The pastor said, we're gonna grow. We're gonna do these things. And it just looks like people are like staying home and stuff. I don't see any fruit yet. Well, remember the robe God gave us. God gave one seed church a robe that we've been holding on to. God didn't do anything but take us through the process. And he's taken us through the process to his glory because it's about him and we're going to get there. And this is, this is a special month, and we're going to get there. But don't judge special by the community's perspective on church in a YMCA. That don't make it special. Because God positions by his patterns. God's doing something good. Look to your neighbor, tell him, your robe is coming. Your robe is coming. Maybe you haven't got your robe yet. It's in, it's in the mail. It takes a little while. But your robe is coming. Maybe it's a UPS. Maybe it's in a UPS box this time. It's a two-day shipping. It's coming on Tuesday. Your robe may be coming on Tuesday. It sounds funny. But just because you didn't know you had a robe that God wanted to give you doesn't mean he didn't have one prepared for you. He wants to give it to you. So he said, God, give me my robe, and I'm going to hold on to that thing. I'm going to hold on to that thing. God, we thank you now. We thank you now for the intimate moments such as this that we can step back to step forward, that we can remember the robe in the calling. Because no matter how confident we may be on some days, some days we all say, God, I still need you. And you have to be first. Because sometimes, God, I wonder, is this what you want, God? Show me. And you say, remember your robe. Remember your robe. Lord, to the person who hasn't experienced the robe yet, send them the robe this week. Send them the robe this week. And remind them, it doesn't matter how dirty that thing gets. It doesn't matter if someone tries to steal it from them because they want to hold on to their joy. Remember, remind them that their robe was for them and you're taking them somewhere by their faithfulness. You're going to keep walking through this, the Lord says. You're going to walk through this pandemic. You're going to walk through this historical, strange time the world is in. And you're going to beat this because the Lord is on your side, says Jesus. God, we thank you now. We give praise now. We ask you to bless this house. We ask you to keep your hands on us as we go through this week. Touch all those who are sick right now. Let, let the flu season be no season at One Seat Church because you're bigger than any sickness and you conquered death. So touch those all struggling right now who need your touch 
right now, God. Bring them into your house. Let us glorify your mission together and keep walking. And if the house of God could say in Jesus' name,